Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out there today because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. Once again, I'm your guest host here, uh, retired police officer Bill McReynolds, and I'm seated behind the stainless steel titanium microphone inside the Boys in Blue podcast studio here in Mesa, Arizona. And today we have another first for the Boys in Blue podcast. We've done uh, podcast interviews with guys from LAPD, Washington State, Mesa PD. But this is our first time we've had the opportunity to speak with an officer from the Scottsdale Police Department in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I want to welcome a good friend of mine, Ben Poster of Scottsdale Police Department. Sergeant, Ben, are you there today? I sure am. Ben, welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast. Um, maybe I should share, first of all, how we got connected. And that was... Uh, on the Air, Team Arizona bike, uh, we we rode in the Arizona Police Unity Tour, and we started out in Virginia <laughs> and ended up in Washington, D.C. for Police Week. But actually, we trained a lot to prepare for that right here in the hills of uh, Superstition Mountains. Yeah, that's right. We uh, <laughs> We got to do a lot of riding close to our homes, and that was a lot of fun to uh, connect that way. Yeah. And some of the things I remember, first of all, is um, you're a heck of a bike rider (laughs) (laughs) trying to keep up with you on the hills. But once we got to North Fork, Virginia, that's where we started, Uh, got our bikes shipped back there. And and we're going to start from there and ride up to Washington, D.C., a three day ride. The image I have in my mind of you, Ben is when the night before we were to ride, we went over, I think it was just called the Crab House <laughs> restaurant. Right. Yeah, yeah. One of the Crab Shacks. Yeah, the restaurant. Yeah. Had a bunch of seafood. So the image I have of you is one of those great big plastic bibs they give you, and you sitting there over a big bucket of crabs. <laughs> those, <laughs> those were good times. Good times for you know, sure. A lot of times when I uh, went... My, my my hobby to ride and do exercises so that I can eat on the other side. So I do all this cardio um, and, and exercise so that when I can turn around and just eat whatever I want. Um, seemed to work a lot better as I was younger, but as I get older, it's uh, not so beneficial anymore. But yeah, I, I still love to ride and still love to eat. So Yeah, it's the antidote to ice cream. That's the way I look at it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, Ben, so you've been on Scottsdale PD for how long now? Uh, I am approaching 23 years here in about two months. Uh, I'll have 23 years on the force. Wow. And your your current rank is sergeant, correct? Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, did you grow up in Arizona, Ben? I did. So my dad was in the Army. I uh, was born in Newport News, Virginia. Um, and then, uh, obviously, he was 
but that's where he was stationed at the time. And then we moved out to An- um, not Aniston, Enterprise, Alabama, uh, where my dad was stationed there. He was a Huey pilot um, in, in in the army, and he did a, I think a tour in Vietnam. He would do the 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 uh, medical uh, pickups, you know, the oh, wow. fly into the hot zone, pick people up, and all that good stuff. Um, and then uh, when we were in uh, Alabama. He, uh, the, the army did a big, uh, I guess they did a big reduction of force and he got rifted. So he didn't make his promotion. He got, uh, kind of, uh, sent packing like uh, many people did from the army. And so he moved us out to Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, where he started a job as a, uh, as a counselor, um, kind of a, I guess just a, just a, a master's level counselor. And so he did that and that's how we uh, started here in Arizona. Well, so now what attracted you to law enforcement? Oh, long story, I guess. Uh, I mean, uh, it's always been a childhood dream. I never really said it, but, you know, I, I really loved to be outdoors as a kid. I would, I was in Boy Scouts and I rode and raced BMX and then I got raced dirt bikes and I played sports and very active and, you know, shooting and just being all around everything. You know, I had many jobs growing up in newspaper delivery and office max clerk and <laughs> Sears hardware. Yeah. I mean, I, I did it all. And, but in the back of my mind, I was always fascinated with law enforcement and, you know, the whole philosophy of security and customer service and helping victims and things like that, catching bad guys. And, sure. uh, you know, I, 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 uh, graduated high school and, um, I actually served a mission for my church in Columbia, uh, South America for a couple of years. I learned the Spanish language, uh, came back, got married, and then started college thinking I wanted to be an accountant because, you know, I also like money. <laughs> I thought that that was going to get me some money and I was going to be happy. And took a couple of college classes in accountancy and realized I cannot sit still through this. So uh, changed my major and uh, had to convince my wife to let me be a police officer. So that took a little while because she thought I wasn't going to get into that dangerous career. And then uh, uh, down the road to realize this is the perfect fit for me. So I did a couple of ride-alongs and her uncle was a, uh, was a, uh, a police officer in Scottsdale. So kind of had that oh, connection to learn more about okay. it and do some ride-alongs and, and realized that this was the perfect fit for me. So I perfect. graduated from ASU and, and jumped right into the, into the force. And, so, and that, that was in, back in 1997. What was your major in? What you, what you degree in out of ASU? I, I graduated with a degree uh, from ASU, Bachelor of Science in Justice Studies. So okay. they didn't have an administration of uh, justice or criminal justice at the time. So that theirs was more of a generic justice degree that had some, uh, many of the classes that were police related. Some that were more uh, generally focused, like societal fairness and things like that, which I basically had to get through. But uh, it was a, it was a, it was a good a good program of study, and I learned uh, learned a lot. Well, you know that is the more I talk to guys now, I know the answer to this. But did that degree help you in police work? I think it did. I I, I thought I was when I came home from uh, uh, spending two years in Columbia and getting you know I, I was twenty one and I got married shortly after that and I was still pretty pretty young and I, I felt that. You know, I had a lot of respect for the police profession as I as I started to realize that's what I wanted to do. So I wanted to mature a little bit. So I, I realized that you know, going to college and and taking a bunch of different classes and interacting with different people and working on the side would kind of mature me a little bit <laughs> or help me mature um, before I started my career because I wanted to be kind of a little more ready than just 
you know, a young kid going in. I, I just, I, I wanted that kind of that background. I wanted to be a little bit more mature and have be a little bit more focused before I started my career. Well, I tell you, that's a smart move. Well, uh, the college degrees have helped guys. I know even in the promotional aspect of things of, uh, you know, making sergeant or just being more well-rounded. Now I, I can relate exactly to what you're talking about because I started right out of the gate. I'm like 21 when I started. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, what does a 21 year old know about family fights? You know what I mean? Uh, right. <laughs> somebody busting up a 20 year marriage and what do I know? I'm just, you know, so I, I think you were smart. You were wise beyond your years and you get a little maturity on you. But so now 23 years. Now, what assignments have you had? So obviously, well, let me ask you this first. How long were you in patrol before you made sergeant? Uh, we're looking at clo- just under eight years. So I started out like everybody did. I mean, I did my four-month academy at the Phoenix Regional Academy. At the time, it was called Arizona Law Enforcement Academy. And they Basically, it was, the, it was the academy for the state. And uh, that was a four-month deal that came back to Scottsdale. And uh, then I did field training. And then immediately they put you on a patrol squad. So I was uh, on patrol for uh, a couple years, and then um, I had a great time learning. It, it was a very you know big learning curve as it is for everybody, uh, but just enjoyed my time uh, you know learning the job and, and and working as a patrol officer on on different squads. And then uh, I moved from patrol to a bike squad. At the time, it was a new assignment called the Park. And pres- actually, it was the Parky Unit is what it was called. And so it was a bike unit that was uh, uh, per- basically assigned to the parks and the preserves within Scottsdale. So we had a, a vast park system. And we would get a lot of problems with, you know, people that, you know, transients that would come and bother park goers and, and kids that were smoking dope and, and basically crimes that were occurred in, in that area. So that's, that was our basic assignment. So we would travel all the parks in the city and uh, we would do it the majority on mountain bikes, and then sometimes we would jump in a couple of our patrol cars and travel out to the the northern parks and trailheads and 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 uh, basically, you know, police those as well. You know, I always thought that would be a great assignment. Um, some guys didn't like it at all. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it was what... it, it, it was a fun assignment. We had a, we had a unit of five people. We had one sergeant. It was it was actually a lot of fun. Um, but as a new officer, I, I had fun for the, I, I did it for about a year and a half, had fun. And then realized that, you know, at the time we, we kind of, uh, it was like a, if, if, in terms of uh, fishing, we fished our fishing hole dry. I mean, we basically, we, we were young officers and we did a lot of enforcement for, you know, for folks and transients and others that were in the park after hours. And we, we did a lot of enforcement and arrests to the point where the folks left. <laughs> so we you really ran up, out man. of work. You cleaned and it up. And so, uh, yeah, after, after a while there, I was really like, okay, there's not a lot of enforcement going on. I mean, it was really fun to interact with the kids in the after-school uh, programs. and But, you know, I, I still was a young officer, and I wanted to enforce the law and make a sure. difference. So I, after about a year and a half, I moved back to the road and uh, became a, uh, a patrol officer again, but I was also assigned as a field training officer. So um, my second time back on the road, I had a great time not only doing patrol work and, and, and the wide variety of calls that entails, but I enjoyed training new officers. And so um, I was assigned to train all the new officers we were hiring at the time. And also I uh, volunteered to sign or volunteered to um, to train police aides. And those are our civilian uh, police employees that, that work on 
in, in, in conjunction with our police officers. So they wear a slightly different uniform at the time. It was a light blue shirt. They drove police cars and they would basically be assigned to the civilian aspect of police work. So they would take accident reports. They would take phone reports. They would take uh, police reports not involving a suspect. And so I they see. were basically police administration folks. And they, they would free up time for patrol officers to handle uh, more emergency calls or calls involving suspects. So sure, um, sure. I really enjoyed, you know, kind of uh, honoring their work by, by training their new employees and kind of getting them off on the right foot and, uh, and, and just helping all overall in the, in the city's uh, new folks. It was really, uh, really nice. Well, you know, a good FDO can make or break a guy's career. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the old days, they just used to throw you with somebody, you know, and say, Hey, go with him. <laughs> and a right, lot of times, right. a lot of times the guy they put you with didn't want you, you know what I mean? He says, Oh yeah. man, I got mm-hmm. this kid tagging along on me. Yeah, boy. <laughs> anyway. And I imagine, I know, right. I can, just see it right now. I bet there was quite a screening process. I imagine the civilian part training was, uh, in some aspects, more difficult than the actual uh, police officer training for the simple fact that you have to screen out the wannabes that um, overstep their authority as a civilian. Right, I mean, right. You know, they want to respond to the bank robberies and everything. No, no, you're just supposed to do the parking thing here. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that was, uh, you know, for those folks, because, you know, there is there is that draw to police work and and, and reminding them that, hey, you don't have a gun. <laughs> you're driving a marked <laughs> yeah. police car. You have to kind of separate the two and kind of uh, keep yourself in check. Absolutely. Yeah. So now when you made sergeant, what did you do? What was your assignments then? So as a brand new sergeant, I was assigned to our District 4 station, and I obviously went right back to nights and weekends and enjoyed that. <laughs> Not really, but I did. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I bounced around uh, between those different weekend shifts for a while um, and really enjoyed adapting. You know, it was difficult you know, adapting to the different role of not only just being a police officer, but also having to supervise new police officers. So the FDO, in my mind, uh, field training really helped. Um, instead of training one person, you were now in charge of seven. Yeah. It involved a lot of uh, oversight and mentoring and, you know, just just uh, basic first-line supervi- supervision, you know, establishing a culture and helping these folks stay motivated, but really enjoyed all aspects of that. So I did that for a few years. Um, then I was uh, lucky enough to be chosen to go back to the police academy. So uh, Scottsdale Police Department and many other departments around the Valley support the uh, Arizona Law Enforcement Academy by sending a sergeant and an officer down to help with the training of, of new recruits. So I was assigned out there and I was given a couple academy classes to uh, be in charge of training all the new recruits that were coming coming through at the time. And it was, it was really a lot of fun. So um, how long did you do the academy? The training? So I did the academy for two years. The unfortunate part was I was supposed to be assigned for four classes, but I was out there in 2008 when the economy uh, really got hit with uh, that hard recession. Yeah. So at yeah. the time, police departments stopped hiring police officers because of all, you know, basically the financial sure. uh, recession that hit. So my, the classes were postponed. They were slowed down. They were canceled. And my four classes went down to two. And in the meantime, uh, if I wasn't training or preparing for a class, I, I got assigned back to Scottsdale to help uh, overfill some assignments. But sure. uh, when yeah. I was out there for the two years uh, teaching classes, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, being around the new recruits and kind of yeah. basically just recharging my my batteries, my career batteries of 
just seeing these new kids so excited uh, for the job and excited to, excited to start their careers mm-hmm. really was a motivation back to me. Well, you know, I can see the thread there, how that you just, I mean, starting as an FTO, uh, that's, you know, prepared you a lot. And then when you made sergeant, you, you made an important statement there, Ben, and that is establishing a culture. I mean, yeah. it starts at the top, the attitude. <laughs> if you get a squad that's, oh, yeah, they're negative, they're lazy. Okay, you know, you just about know what kind of sergeant's running it, you know? Establishing yep. a culture that is so, you set an example that is so important. So I can see an FDO and then a sergeant uh, and, now, and then the academy. So that just kind of escalated and uh, enhanced your talents as you went, I'm sure. Now, when you're in the academy, you see a lot of these young guys coming and going. What would you say is one of the most important or several of the most important attributes um, I'm assuming after even a couple of classes, you could tell which guys are going to make it, which ones aren't, who's going to be a great cop and who's going to just be mediocre. What would you say some of the attributes of a, uh, a good cop are? I, I would say a couple of them are, um, one is perseverance. You know, the, the folks that, uh, were successful didn't take, uh, the small defeats or errors or, you know, they, they were able to just push past those very quickly and just keep, keep going. Um, folks that dwell on the negative um, or, or dwell on how they messed up and they couldn't get past it, those were the folks that were not successful. So the folks that were able to just you know learn from their mistakes and move forward uh, just did very well. Folks that were just uh, or recruits that were um, that were just self-aware, you know, that they were joining a career that was very important, that had meaning. And that we're able to uh, just kind of keep themselves in check. We're also very successful. So, uh, you know, we try not to push folks into the police profession that are in in a, in, a, in a negative term badge heavy, meaning that they go into the career thinking that they are more powerful than they really are. Like this badge makes me powerful. Being a police officer gives me the right to mistreat people or whatever. Um, those folks is what we, we definitely tried to steer clear from. Sure. Yeah. Boy, I tell you, that's, well, you did the police department a favor by doing that. That's for sure. Now, so yeah. you were in, after the academy, you went back to uh, the street more or less. And yep. Yeah, I, I was assigned back to the road. I got, uh, I was assigned back up north. And this time it was a, a week, a weekday shift where I was had weekends off. And that was kind of nice. So I, I bounced around between the districts again. Uh, just supervising districts and supervising this time more senior officers instead of brand new officers. And so that was a different, uh, uh, a different change in my career. Cause you know, I mean, new officers are easy to supervise in terms of motivation because they're definitely motivated in their career. Uh, older officers, as they, as they become more seasoned, it's, uh, they know the job, but it's more of a challenge to, to, you know, just keep that motivation going sometimes. So, um, you know, it, it was, it, it was, it was enjoyable. Um, after I left that, the next assignment I had was a, a bike unit sergeant position opened up. And since I had some bike unit background, I applied for that and I was able to get that. And that was well, a lot of fun to kind of return to supervising the bike officers. And this time it, it wasn't down, it wasn't the parks. It was a downtown bike unit spot. I see. Now, did you ever, one of the things I, I really appreciate about Scottsdale, one time they hosted for several years, the, uh, Police and Fire Olympics. Were you yes. ever involved? Were you ever involved in that? I did. Yeah, uh, years ago, 
um, back when I first left the the park unit when I was riding, I, I, I uh, developed a friendship with a triathlete friend of mine who was also on the force, and he got me into to not only were we road biking, but he got me into. Uh, I mean, not not only were we mountain biking, he got me into road biking. Uh, because before I'm like, I don't understand this. And why would people just ride on the street and the skinny tires and not off road, you know? And so I got into that and really enjoyed, started to enjoy the sport. And, uh, yeah, that was, it, it really, um, as I was doing that, the police Olympics came around and I, I started to kind of enter myself in the biking events. So I had a really good time doing it. You know, we may have raced against each other. I did that for several years. Uh, they had we, the mountain we might have, cause the the one race that I did was when it was held in Mesa, um, and it was right the normal routes that you and I used to ride together. Yeah, that's where the yeah. race was held. Yeah. Okay, so they had the mountain. I did the years I did. They had the mountain biking out there, McDowell Mountain Park, mm-hmm. and then they had the uh, road race out of, off Usury Pass. You do that loop twice. Yep. Yep. And then the time trial was just down there in the Bush Highway. Yes. Okay. Shoot, we, we, we probably might, didn't know each other, but we probably oh, did it. Yeah. Man, yeah. You know, uh, one of the things, uh, I, I, I usually won one of them, <laughs> but I never did win all three and to get the yellow Jersey, but right. I will say this. Now my wife worked for Mesa PD is a dispatcher. So she was eligible to compete. And I was so proud of her because they had a lot of females that were on the bike unit in Mesa and other departments that competed. And she beat the socks off every one of them. She got the yellow jersey in that <laughs> year. She won the mountain biking, the road bike, and the time trial. So, you know, if you win all three, you get the, the yellow jersey. So, but that's great. Yeah. I never even came close to that. There was too many of those young guys who were just, just crazy on the bike. Yeah, <laughs> but, me too. I, I never got first, but it was it was fun to compete. Really well. Oh yeah. You know, in fact, I'm looking into that. I want. I don't know if they're going to have it up and running again or not. But so anyway, after the bike unit, what'd you do? So um, I did the bike unit for just under a year, and uh, previous to the bike unit, I had been looking at the uh, public information office. So I knew that there was a public information sergeant that was working and he was getting closer to retirement. And I kind of wanted to prepare myself to, if that position ever opened that I would, you know, put in for it. And so I, I did some, while I was before the bike unit and when I was on back on patrol, I started to attend some training and kind of, uh, did a temporary duty with that sergeant to kind of learn the role and, and practice it. And, you know, if, if it, the, the job ever came open. So when I was on the park, when I was on the bike unit, uh, patrolling the downtown as a sergeant, the, uh, that, the public information sergeant decided to retire. He left. And so I, uh, put myself in for the position with a few others and I was lucky enough to get it. So wow. that was back in, uh, about five years ago and it's been, it's been a joy ever since. So, uh, I was able to jump into the PIO unit, work out of the chief's office and, and really uh, changed my career up quite a bit. You know, I see you on TV all the time. <laughs> and you have the perfect personality for that, I'm telling you. <laughs> you, know, you have the perfect personality. But I know also from friends of mine that have been PIOs, uh, you see the inside scoop on how things run. I mean, <laughs> it's probably an eye-opener for you, too, as you went into that. Yeah, I mean, you're Working in the chief's office, uh, I'm brought in on a lot of the uh, very sensitive topics and, and, yeah. and, you know, and all the high priority 
incidents that involve the police, I'm, I'm the I'm the one that's brought in, and I have to help the department message that out to the public and get that information out to uh, basically, you know, calm people down. I mean, one of my first cases when I or one of the first incidents that I uh, had to report on was we it was uh, it was best basically after the issues with Ferguson, you know, the the riots oh, sure. that were happening in Ferguson. Sure. And we uh, we had an incident where our detectives had stopped a uh, pretty violent criminal. He had uh, felony warrants and he had run from the police all over the valley. And one of our detective units had uh, tried to stop him and they boxed him in and he started ramming his way out and almost ran over some officers. And he ended up getting uh, uh, shot by our detectives. And uh, I had to do the media for that. So uh, proper messaging and, and, and explaining that, that situation clearly for the media uh, was one of the points of basically avoiding, you know, protests and riots, uh, you know, because the, 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 the suspect in this case happened to be an African-American male and he did not have a gun. And so that was the whole, you know, precipice for the, the Ferguson issue. Um, but, you know, explaining that information clearly saying, hey, this is a bad guy and he had run from us and he was attempting to run over officers who were attempting to arrest him. And that's why um, there, was, there was a lethal encounter. So that messaging was quite important. How uh, challenging is it to work with the media? I mean, it, it, it it's it's it, it's been a long long learning process for me, but it, it can be very challenging depending on uh, on who you who is trying to report and what their agenda is on their side. I mean, the news yeah, is a yeah. is a business. They're trying to get information out to the public, but they're also trying to sell. They need advertising and they need money coming in on their end. So. If they can make a story uh, salacious and they can make it uh, um, controversial so that people will watch the news or watch their channel, then then they're gonna they're gonna try to make money on their side. So it really is a balancing act of uh, giving out information and also uh, not succumbing to some of that salacious reporting. Well, I tell you, you know, they can take. I mean, just the wrong word. You know, just a verbal description of something that would make perfect sense. They can turn that around. So I can see that would be quite a challenge for you, Ben, to really have to parse your words sometimes and choose uh, your terminology and the whole thing. I can remember years ago, now maybe things have changed, but years ago, uh, one of my friends, PIO, uh, if someone, one of the reporters, you know, uh, just went off reservation and uh now see even that could be taken wrong <laughs> uh, but really you know went above and beyond what uh they were saying or indicating he would like almost put him on probation well i'm not talking to you for three weeks or something yeah, i don't it, know if you have it that really, no it, it absolutely is it, it's it's uh, a lot of this is how you develop your relationships with not only the reporters but with the stations themselves you know which stations are are going to try to spin stories or which stations are really going to be pro uh, police and report accurately. So um, a lot, most of the time, last five, six years I've been here is, has been focusing on developing good po- uh, partnerships with, with the different oh, yeah. news agencies so that yeah. they, when the time does come where there's a, a, a high profile story, a police officer involved shooting, that they, uh, that they report accurately and they don't try to try to take it for a negative spin. And, and we've been very successful here in Scottsdale. We have great support from our citizens. We have a high, um, high level of, of support from them and uh, the news the news the news understands that so they don't try to you know try to depict us negatively no you know that is true now that you mention it scottsdale does have a very good rapport with its citizens i mean you don't see any uh, clamoring and demonstrations in that so you guys have done a good job there for sure now yeah um, absolutely. 
one of the things, Ben, that uh, I can remember, and this is today's police officers. I mean, um, I'm old school. And I've been out of it for a while. But I was amazed. Uh, like when we rode from Virginia up to Washington, D.C., and we'd stop for breaks and lunch and all that along the way. We'd ride our bikes. And we'd get to chatting, like eight or ten of us in a little circle there, you know. And it was amazing to me how many guys had been in shootings uh, compared to when I was young and on the road. I mean, if you had two shootings a year, it was a big deal. And now, I mean, like, okay, say there's ten of us standing around talking, like six of them had already been in shootings. And I can remember you shared one time that you were involved in a shooting. Can you talk about that a little bit? I know you had the presence of mind to turn that into something to help other officers so they could know what to expect post-shooting trauma or, or leading up to that. So can you talk about that a little bit, Ben? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my shooting occurred back in 2003. Um so this was back when I was a field training officer. Um, at the time, I was also a member of peer support. So I had been uh, trained and been exposed to offer support to those officers that had been mm. in shootings or been in a traumatic incident. So I, oh. I had six years on at the time, and I was lucky enough to be more prepared than, say, an officer who's just out of the academy and be exposed to a shooting. Because it is a very high stress, oh, uh, very, very... Yeah crazy situation for any police officer to be in. So um, I was lucky that, that I, I had a, some experience and some training to kind of prepare me for that. But back in 2003, I was uh, actually on the road. I was training a uh, new officer. She was in uh, phase four, uh, which is our final phase of training. And at the time, what we would do during that phase, uh, we would the, the trainer would dress in civilian clothes with a badge and a gun and a radio. And the trainee would be in full uniform. The motivation behind that was that that all contacts and all activity, the citizens would look to the uniformed officer to focus their attention on and not to the trainer so that the trainee would get the best experience and be able to use his or her skills and prove that they're ready to be solo capable. Okay. And so uh, the situation occurred where um, I was in the passenger seat training uh, this officer and a call came out of a, uh, um, a stabbing. Um, this this uh, domestic violence relationship occurred where this woman um, was with her new boyfriend and she came home with him and her ex-boyfriend had broken into her house and was waiting for her. And so he had stabbed her in the chest. Uh, the knife actually stopped in her sternum bone. Um, oh and then he proceeded to uh, physically assault the, boy the new boyfriend and you know basically beat the crap out of him. And then uh, took the girlfriend hostage in her car and then drove away. And so this boyfriend ran to the neighbor's house, calls the police, and then, you know, we're on the case. So my trainee and I were in another part of the, the that district, and we were handling a, a, a just a report call when this stuff uh, started happening. So the officers that were on the call went to the, uh, the primary location. They couldn't find the suspect or the car, and then they just started putting out information. So um, they started checking hospitals because the boyfriend said she was stabbed. He wasn't there, uh, and then my trainee and I decided that we would um, we would go ahead and uh, basically just give up on the call we were on, put it on hold, and then go try to help out because this was a major incident. And so we decided that we would drive to his last known address or his where he he was actually staying with his mom's house, 
uh, in another part of that same district. So we drove over uh, with two other officers to this guy's mom's house and two officers parked out front or up down the street from the front of his house. And my trainee and I decided to park uh, in, behind the home on another street and all in all in an attempt to see if this guy would come home with, with this uh, victim. And lo and behold, uh, we didn't think he would because it was just you know too easy or too obvious. And literally 10, 15 minutes later, uh, the units out front, a uh, female officer called out, hey, this, <laughs> this suspect just drove by. And so uh, we were back on the case and we jumped in the car and drove down the street. And she was outside of her car at the time calling this out because she couldn't get back to hers because she was trying to be uh, kind of out of sight so that this guy would, you know, so he wouldn't be too spooked. But when he saw her in the alleyway, he sped up and took off. And we uh, paralleled down the street <clears throat> and then it ended up catching a glimpse of him going down another street. And uh, that's when we were basically in the lead and we were first uh, behind this guy. So we had a good distance behind him. Uh, I told my trainee, I said, you just drive, I'll take over radio. And so I started calling out that we were behind the guy and he knew we were behind him. And so he picked up speed, went over to a street called 68th Street and made a left turn, blowing stop signs. And uh, to make a long story short, he blew some re uh, red light and some other streets. And we were able to, uh, at a distance, see what he was doing and kind of be in a uh, pursuit without lights and sirens, uh, calling out our information. Um, then he decided to make a bunch of turns through a bunch of neighborhoods. And uh, we blindly kind of went around through the neighborhood and then ended up pulling down a street guessing and there his car was. And so he parked his car and he, she had jumped out of the car and she was running. She had a nightgown on, she had a blood stain on her chest and uh, we parked our car down the street from him and we both jumped out and started to run towards the victim and the suspect as they were outside of their car. Well, the victim uh, ran, I didn't notice this because obviously things were getting very tense. And so my tunnel vision kind of kicked in and I focused on the suspect. And uh, as he was standing outside of the car, he didn't know what he was going to do, whether he was going to go after the victim or confront us. And he stopped chasing her and basically focused on me. And so he stopped in the middle of the street, stuck his hand in the waistband behind his back and started to started to come right at me, yelling for me to shoot him. And so I, I being in plain clothes, having just a radio and a gun, uh, pulled, you know, I had my, my gun out and I was telling him, hey, get on the ground, get on the ground, back up, back up, giving him all the commands I could. Um, and he basically backed me up about the length of a house, telling me to shoot him, telling me to shoot him until I got back and I looked out of my peripheral vision and saw that I was all the way back to my police car and I had lost track of where my trainee was because my tunnel vision has kicked in. I realized I'm not going to walk past my police car and expose him to, to that and let him drive away or do whatever or, you know, get close enough to stab me with the knife that he had because he still had his hand in his, his waistband. And so I gave him several more commands and then I said, okay, he's, he's close enough within that 21 foot rule and I'm not going to go any further. And so then I, I basically, uh, shot him. And that's well, how it ended. Uh, you know, it's almost, uh, you talked about a guy at the end of his rope. It's almost like a suicide by cop at the end. Of it the was, thing. it really was. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that's yeah. what it was. He, he knew that he had, he was facing several charges, you know, for the attempted murder of his ex-girlfriend and kidnapping and, um, yeah, he, he knew that he was done. So yeah. that was, well, funny. you know, and a lot of people don't understand the 21 foot rule. Can you explain that just very briefly, Ben? So what they, what they teach, what they taught us back in the Academy, what they continue to teach is a reactionary gap. And, and, and what they did was that 
if someone is armed with a knife or a weapon and they um, and they are within 21 feet, they can sprint to your position and stab you or hit you before you can unholster your weapon and actually effectively shoot them. And that's called the reactionary gap. So we trained extensively that at the Phoenix Police Academy. Um, where, where basically someone would have a, a, a plastic knife and you would be holstered and you'd be standing 21 feet apart and that person would sprint at you. And by the time you unholstered your weapon, raised your sights and were able to fire, that person was on top of you or running by you and had touched you with the, the plastic knife. So the, they, 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 they really, uh, really taught us about the, the, the distancing and reactionary gap rules to us to let, let you know that, you know, if, you, if you're oh, within sir, a certain you know, distance, they can definitely hurt most- you. Most people that hear that don't believe it until they see it. Yep. <laughs> you know, they say 21 feet, that's plenty of time. Well, you know, until, until you practice that and see how fast someone could be upon you, boy, I'll tell you, that is so important. Well, I'm glad that you were safe and all that and you came out emotionally. I mean, you said that was his choice. I mean, what are you going to do? Yep. You had to protect your, yourself and the public at the same time. Right. And that poor girl, he'd also already demonstrated uh, what danger he was to everybody. But yes. so you also use that to um, in training and use that or offered up your own emotion as an example. So other cops could know how to handle that down the road. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we had a good lieutenant who kind of set up a training class for the department and talked about basically officer involved shootings. He had been into shooting himself with several other employees on a different incident. And so he brought in folks that had been in shootings to let them know and talk about the incident. And, it's basically very educational for officers to understand about not only what what happens during and after a shooting, but the emotional aspect, the 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 process in which the investigations occur. With when you're interviewed by a detective, then you're interviewed by internal affairs, and understanding the process really helps officers understand better uh, those situations in case they are ever you know then get oh, in case sure, involved sure. in one in the future. So education is the best best key. You know, and if, if they didn't have that information up front, they'd immediately think, well. They think I'm a suspect here, but it's yeah, just totally. the process, the process that has to go through. Well, Correct. tell me now, Ben, what are your career goals now? Are you going to stay with a PIO for the time being? Do you have aspirations to be a captain or chief or what do you think well, is going to happen? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting close to the end of my career. I, I think uh, there's a couple of possibilities. I'm, I'm just finishing up my master's degree with NAU right now. They and you brought a cohort to our city, and the 15 of us are all getting our master's degree at the same time through the same cool. And so yeah. I'll be done with that in December. And um, I'm getting pretty close to entering the drop at 25 years. So um, I, I can either stay here at PIO office. Uh, the chief said I can stay for the next couple of years, or I can test for lieutenant next year. I mean, I could have done that, but I kind of wanted to finish my degree first. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. There's a couple of choices yeah. for me. I can either test for lieutenant or stay finish up in PIO. Well, my hat's off to you because going after your master's and, and uh, working at the same time, there's nothing easy about that. So, and no, my hat's off to your family. It's been pretty stressful, yeah. Yeah, my hat's off to your family as well, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, ben, ben Holster, Sergeant with Scottsdale PD. You've been a good friend. We did some fundraising together for the Police Unity Tour and the memorial there in Washington, D.C. You enjoyed that. Enjoyed riding from North Fork, Virginia, all the way up to Washington, D.C. with you on bicycles and training out here in the supers. And I think Scottsdale's in pretty good hands as far as their PIO goes for now. And 
And my hats off it. to you for uh, my hats off to you for uh, how you've helped along the way, being an FTO and then the academy, and and uh, now the uh, the sacrifice it takes to uh, go after your master's degree and that that speaks volumes. But well, listen. It's amazing how fast these podcasts go, Ben. We could talk for another four hours for sure. But listen, could. if you'd hang on, if you'd hang on the line for just a minute, and uh, we're going to have to say goodbye to the, the audience now. But I want to thank you so much, and you know, I you never know when we're going to do a part two on this. Would you be willing to consider that down the road? Absolutely. Yeah, this was fun. Cool. Cool. Okay. Well, listen, this is the Boys in Blue podcast. Thank you, Ben Holster from the Scottsdale PD. And we'll be talking to you again. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Boys in Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys in Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys in Blue wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think. 